All right, welcome in. Cube Show, a college football show that comes to you on Sundays, usually focusing in on the SEC. We're going to talk a little more extra college football here in the offseason. And we come every single Sunday talking college football. We're going to bring that college football content to you on Sundays, of course, during the season. We'll dive into the film, give you each and every SEC game that we watched, X's and O's, what we saw, and then we lay it out for you as to what the film looks like. But we can't do that during the offseason, so we're going to bring you different content. Today, uh, I am down at the Marriott Grand Hotel, Fairhope, Alabama. This is where my wife and I got married. They were nice enough to set me up here upstairs in this beautiful card room. And if you can see on the other side of me, you can see all out over the bay. It is a wonderful place. It's a magical place, man. It really is. If you hadn't been here, you should come check it out. It's worth the while. Uh, we came down for our 10-year anniversary a couple of weeks ago. Brought the kids back this weekend uh, because tonight I'm heading to the Senior Bowl Hall of Fame banquet that is right here at the Marriott Grand. So it's just a cool place. And we're glad we got to bring the kids down so they could see where mom and dad got married. Uh, but it's a cool place, and I appreciate them setting us up here. All right, today's show, uh, what are we going to get to? Well, we're going to take a look at my top five position group battles within the Southeastern Conference going into 2023. And a little bit of a precursor to that was last week, top player at each position. And there were some folks that were a little upset or a little surprised, maybe both, of how many Alabama guys were there. And I heard some interesting comments from Kirk Herbstreet this week. He was on Pat McAfee's show. It's the second time he's done this this offseason, by the way, saying that he's starting to lean Alabama for a national championship a little bit. And that he doesn't like the way people are starting to pick against Nick Saban. It's pretty interesting when you think about that. Um, But what I think is most interesting is if you go back to last week's episode, we laid out for you best edge defender, best interior defensive lineman, best corner, and then best guard, offensive guard, and Tyler Booker. There are multiple best players at their position in this league playing for Alabama, but just because quarterback is a pretty big question mark and a lot of people are uncertain how that's going to play out. Now people saying, oh, they can't win 10 games or they're not going to win the West or they can't go to the playoff. I think Herbie's been doing his homework and, you know, it's offseason. He's starting to like dial back in a little bit and he's starting to realize, hey, um, we might be making a mistake outside the footprint here and not saying him, but the people who are doubting Alabama saying that it can't happen. I just don't see it. And and I find it so interesting that so many people are saying that Alabama's not going to be there. Can't get back there yet. Ohio state. Ryan day doesn't know who his quarterback is, but Ohio state can go win a national championship, right? Michigan doesn't have a dynamic quarterback. I think they have a really good quarterback, but everybody thinks they can go win a national championship. Carson Beck's thrown what? 42 passes in college football games. Uh, mostly in mop-up duty, but Georgia can go win a national championship. Nobody's worried about that. Uh, you know, does it take any league quarterback to win a national title? Like that's a big question. And a lot of people just believe that you got to have that guy. I think we get so hung up on 2019, Joe Burrow, 2010, Cam Newton, that, Oh, that's just, that's what it's gotta be. You got to have that guy or else you you can't go win a national championship. Like it's, it's gotta be Deshaun Watson. Uh, but the best quarterback in college football last year, he didn't win his conference. Matter of fact, got his ass kicked in conference championship game, him specifically, because uh, of the inability to block in that game. So I, I, Stetson Bennett won the last two national championships, guys, and he just signed a nice NFL deal. And I think he's going to be on NFL roster for a long time. We, we've talked a lot of times on this show about the disrespect for Stetson Bennett as opposed to what good of an athlete he was and what good of a quarterback he was. So I think we'll find out just how good he was this year, how much of a difference maybe he makes, but the, lack of, the loss of Coach Monk is going to have a lot to do with that. 
I just think when you start looking at Alabama, maybe having a really good offensive line, a good group of tight ends, a really good group of receivers. No. Is there an Amari Cooper or Julio Jones? No, there's not. There's not a good group of running backs. Is there a Derrick Henry? Maybe not, but a good group. And then the interior of that defensive line, uh, we know you got Jaheim Otis there. Jameel Burroughs, Tim Smith, one of them comes on. Deontay Lawson, a linebacker, needs to come on. But I also think the way Kevin Steele is going to coach it, not quite as aggressive, maybe not giving up as many explosive plays. That's a little bit more him by nature than Pete Golding. Look to offset each other, maybe play a little bit more complimentary football on both sides of the ball. All I'm saying is it's interesting to hear some people who I believe know starting to come around on Alabama a little bit more. Cause we've been telling you on this show for a while. Don't count out the tide. All right, let's get to some of those uh, position group matchups in the sec that we're going to watch this year. Before we do that one position group, actually that we're going to talk about uh, that's going to be included here is the Texas A&M defensive line. And I want to send my thoughts and prayers to all of Aggie nation and to the price family. Uh, Terry price uh, passed away this past week. And I met Terry price initially when he got to Auburn with coach Tuberville staff in 1999, I played offensive line. He coached defensive end. So I, I spent a lot of time around him in practice. I had a lot of conversations with him in after uh, practices, games around the facility, because, you know, our guy, he was, his guys were facing off against me on a regular basis and just a, a pure joy to be around a, an amazing human being, love barbecue, love this family. And one of the coolest things, you know, there, there are multiple coaches from that staff that I've kept in touch with over time. Like Eddie Graham was a part of that staff. Noel Mazzoni was a part of that staff. Terry Price, Don Dunn, and of course, Coach Tuberville. I've kept in pretty good touch with all those guys, but especially probably more so Eddie Graham and Terry Price than any of them. And I consider both of those guys really good friends. So it really hurt to hear that um, it, what Coach Price had been going through and, and that we had lost him. But you talk about gentlemen in the coaching profession, you talk about guys that just got it as far as how to build those relationships, what mattered most right from wrong. I mean, Terry price was that guy. And the coolest thing was we, we did keep in pretty good touch, but obviously the only times we really saw each other were, were going to be games that I was covering. He would always find me on the field before the game. And I mean, it's like you were best friends and had seen each other every week. And he made you feel like family. First thing he always asked me about how the kids, how's the wife, how's the family. How are things going? How's the radio show? Like it, it's all about me every single time. How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you? Didn't even let me interject half the time and ask him how he was doing. Just a magnificent human being. And I know he's somebody who means a lot to Aggie Nation, having played there and then going back to coach there and doing a damn good job coaching there. Uh, the coaching community, the college football community, especially that Texas A&M community is going to miss Terry Price because he was a special human. And I know I'll miss him as well. So I just wanted to send my condolences to the Texas A&M football family, um, the Texas A&M family in general, and then to Coach Price's family as well. I'm very sorry for your loss. Uh, but moving on, um, and as you guys know, each and every week, we're brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Um, go get them in your local grocery store. Uh, we had lunch here yesterday, and uh, some Wickles came out uh, with my son's burger, and I reached over and snatched them immediately, even though he loves them as well. Uh, Wickles.com, you can pick them up there, have them drop shipped to you if they're not in your grocery store. And if they're not, ask your grocery store manager like why are they not here uh but they sponsor the show each and every week so we definitely appreciate them all right top five position matchups that i'm most excited about this year in the southeastern conference let me tell you there's a lot of them um there were a lot of them that were they were fighting to get in there are some that you're going to think are obvious that are not included 
And I think I, if they're not included, it's because I believe I know how they're going to go. And I feel pretty strongly about which way they're going to go. The ones I tried to throw in are the ones that are going to teach me something that I'm going to need to know about more games or that I think are so closely matched that whoever wins that one probably going to win the game and then decide what happens in other games for those two teams. So start at number one. This is a weird one, but just stick with me. The Auburn offensive line against the Texas A&M defensive line. Now, I don't have to explain too much about the A&M defensive line. Like, we know what that group is going to be. We know they got some more daddies coming back. They got guys that can move inside, outside, do a lot of different things, and that is not going to be a problem for the Aggies. Now, what I do think is that you're talking about week four, Jordan-Hare Stadium, September 23rd in Auburn, Alabama, an Auburn offensive line that we all believe has been upgraded. But to what extent? We don't really know. You know, obviously, Jake Thornton takes over as the offensive line coach. It's a different system. It's a different scheme. And you have a lot of different pieces you're trying to plug in. These guys haven't played a lot of football together. But if that Auburn offense is going to get ramped up and take advantage of those new wide receivers and take advantage of Peyton Thornton at quarterback and Ronaldo Fairweather at tight end and be able to score more points than they had the last couple of years, this group's got to figure it out. This will be their first real test. Good chance Auburn 3-0. and And keep in mind, Auburn's still going to have Georgia, LSU, Bama, by the way, Georgia and LSU right after, they're still going to face some really good defensive lines after this game. Mississippi State would be another one that I would throw in that they still have to face. This will be the first big test. And even if they are not dominant, but they just hold up, I think it'll show us a lot about what this Auburn offense might be able to be down the road. So when you talk about Dylan Wade at tackle or maybe Xavion Miller or Gunnar Britton, Avery Jones, the ECU transfer coming in at center, Jeremiah Wright, one of my sleepers that I love going into this season, a guy that just plays the game the way it's supposed to be played. How do they hold up? How do they hold up against Shamar Turner and Shamar Stewart? McKinley Jackson, who is not getting a ton of buzz going into the season, but I'm going to tell you, McKinley Jackson's one of those dudes. He's like, we played against this kid at Wyoming. Or no, it was App State, first game of my junior year. That was Tuberville's first year because Ben Leard had to come in off the bench and give us the Mariano Rivera save and, and got us a win somehow. Um, they had this little nose guard that was, I swear to you, he was like 5'9", 305. You couldn't get under. You couldn't, you couldn't get any leverage. And when I watch McKinley Jackson, I think about that except for a much more tweaked up athlete. Like a dude that you're not going to get leverage on, and he gets those pads low to the ground. Sometimes he gets in that four-point stance. He shoots off the football like there's nothing you can do. Um, but he's a different style defensive lineman as well because you got Walter Nolan that can go inside, outside, but he's like your prototypical wow defensive defensive lineman, end or tackle when you see him the way he operates. Isaiah Rakes a little bit more in the McKinley-Jackson mold. Fadil Diggs can move around and do different things like – it is a super talented group with different style players that can play in different spots and they're going to attack. And if they're more disciplined this year than they were last year, they're going to be more than a handful. They might be dominant. And I want to see how that Auburn offensive line stacks up and holds up against them because it could be, it could be very telling as to what's yet to come for that Auburn offensive line and that Auburn offense. And then that Auburn team, because I don't think the Auburn defense is just going to be good enough for that offense to lean on that side of the ball. Therefore, that offensive line is going to have to pick up that offense, which a lot of times is going to have to pick up that football team. And that one's early enough right there in week four that it could give us a real tell on what's coming later in the season. Um, number two, I'm going to go. This is, a, this is another weird one, but uh, but kind of stick with me here, because I, I think we learn a lot about both of these teams before this game. But I think this could be one of the more intriguing matchups that we get. Now, it is a little bit later. So we're talking about Athens, Georgia, week 11, November the 11th. Ole Miss comes to town. 
Now, we're going to have a pretty good idea what both of these teams are at that point in time. And I'll go ahead and throw this out. For this to even be interesting, Ole Miss has got to be healthy, especially at tight end. So I'm going to go the Ole Miss running backs slash tight ends against the Georgia linebackers. Now, I'm going to remove the defensive line here because the Ole Miss offensive line ain't pushed around the Georgia D-line. Even if the Georgia D-line's not what it's been the last couple of years, and I've said that many times, I believe that. Georgia D-line is not going to dominate the way it has the last two, three years. That's okay. They might not have to, even win a national championship, have a lot of playmakers around them. We just threw out one of their safeties last year at the best at his position. We talked about an inside linebacker at potentially being the best at his position. So you've got that talent that's still going to be there all over the field. Now, so I'm going to say maybe not even neutral, maybe not even neutralizing the Ole Miss offensive line against the Georgia defensive line because they'll utilize tempo. They'll go with some outside zone. They'll spread the ball to the perimeter a little bit. They're not going to try to attack the teeth of that defense, even if they're a step down from where they have been, speaking of the Georgia D-line. But what I am interested to see, to kind of see how it plays out and see potentially where it could go, is how Ole Miss utilizes their tight ends and their running backs against the Georgia linebackers. It's not as experienced of a Georgia linebacker group. We know that. Now, Jamin Dumas-Johnson, real deal. However, a lot of where he has been extremely successful has been on one-way goes. He's a great pressure backer. Talked about it last week because I think he's the best pressure blitzer, best, best pressure linebacker in the SEC. That's from depth. Obviously, Harold Perkins rushing would be a little bit different. But I think when you talk about Lane Kiffin and Coach Weiss, their ability to move tight ends around, their abilities to utilize their backs out of the backfield. That's going to be an emphasis this year. Remember that Ole Miss is, wants to use their backs out of the backfield more this year than they have. They didn't feel like they changed things up as late in the season as they had in previous years. Therefore, backs out of the backfield, linebackers covering backs out of the backfield. You have Michael Trigg is a super athletic tight end. You're going to be able to move him, split zone, bring him across the line of scrimmage. And then on the flip side of that, so Trigg's a guy that you can move around, do different things with. That gives you different formations. It allows you to go fast, utilize tempo, and then give different formations, whether it's more guys close to the football, more guys spread out. And then Caden Priestcorn, I'm telling you, is a dude. Physical, and he can run, got good hands. He is sort of more of an all-around tight end than Michael Trigg is, and he can be a problem as to how different defenses are going to work with him, cover him, and maintain him. So. I still think Georgia has a massive advantage across the field, their defense against the Ole Miss offense. It's just these two position groups. When you talk about Quinshawn Judkins as the best back returning in college football, obviously you got Ulysses Bentley, who I think is going to be a really nice change up a little more, a little bit more twitchy that you can use out of the backfield, do some different things with and getting that ball on the perimeter Visual deception, split zones, jet sweeps, motions, different formations, shifts, if Kiffin and Weiss can get those guys out of position by not necessarily understanding where they need to be pre-snap or where they're going post-snap, it could lead to big plays and maybe keeps Ole Miss in that game. I just think that there's a lot involved in that particular matchup because there's a lot of really good, there's a lot of really talented, but there's some new and there's some what-ifs on both sides. And if everything's healthy and everything's rolling for Ole Miss with that group and the Georgia side maybe hasn't caught up to where it's been in the past, that could make that game a little bit more interesting than a lot of people believe. So. That would be the next one in line for me. Uh, number three, I'm going to go with the Georgia offensive line against a Kentucky front seven. All right. So this one will be week six in Athens, Georgia. 
I think a lot of the heavy lifting still comes after this game for Kentucky. This is not even a must win. And I'm not saying that this is one that I think if this happens for Kentucky, they automatically win this football game. And this is not what that is. But keep in mind, Kentucky still has Mississippi State. They still have Alabama. They still have Missouri. So some potentially good offensive lines, good run games that they're going to have to face after this one. And then is Georgia where they've been the last two years? Are they knocking on the door of that Joe Moore award again? Wink. Or had, is there maybe some reason that they fall off and aren't quite as good? And I'll even throw in Bowers and Delp at tight end to see how they manage this because one of those guys on the edge is going to be J.J. Weaver for Kentucky. And this Kentucky receiver room is getting slept on. I think the Kentucky front seven is getting slept on. I don't think the middle of the defense is as good as it has been. But if you're talking about a Georgia team, maybe not quite as creative as they were under Munkin last year, but a little bit more north and south in the run game. I mean, listen, guys, I, I had South Carolina at Ole Miss a couple of years ago. When the interim head coach was also going to be the Georgia offensive coordinator this year. And I swear to God, they ran duo 57 times in that game and they went for about 287 yards doing it. So he's not afraid to say it's working. Let's keep going between the tackles. I just want to see how Kentucky holds up here. Deion Walker was great as a freshman last year, Josiah Haynes, and then off the ball a little bit. Trevin Wallace has a chance to be a star at linebacker. He might be the next one that gets drafted in the first round. And people are like, the next Kentucky kid is like, who's that guy? Because people just don't pay attention to it. Octavius Oxendine is back for Kentucky. And I mentioned JJ Weaver on the edge. That's where the tackles and tight ends would come into play a little bit more. But I'm telling you, man, Cedric Van Pran, best center coming back in the SEC. We told you that last week. Tate Rutledge, Amarius Mims, Xavier Truss, and then throw in some of those tight ends. It's just, it could be a really good test for the Cats based on what's coming next. If they look good in that department there, yet they maybe still drop that game. We might be talking about this the Sunday after that game on this show, sitting there saying, watch out, Bama, watch out, Mississippi State, watch out, Mizzou, like this Kentucky front seven is for real. And we know Brad White does a damn good job with that defense. So we're not going to be overly concerned about that. That's just an interesting matchup that I think will tell us a lot about those two teams and then kind of where they are a little bit down the road. So number four, this is, I mean, listen, this is a pretty easy one. Uh, the LSU wide receivers against the Alabama DBs. Like I... We might just could have gone this this whole game, like this entire matchup, because I think when you talk about that game this year, number one, it's going to be an absolute war. We'll get to that part here in just a second. But I also believe when you start talking about just who's going to be on the field in this game, like you, this this Alabama secondary has got a chance to be great. Like Kool-Aid McKinstry, we told you last week number one corner in the SEC, according to us coming back this year, Terry on Arnold It's Caleb Downs going when this game takes place November the four, November the 4th week 10 right there in Bryant Denny Stadium is, is he a major player Trey Amos the ULL transfer uh Jalen Key the UAB transfer Malachi Moore who's been who's been star he's been safety he's played some nickel like he can do a lot of different things Earl Little had that really nice pick in the spring game how effective is he going to be I think Kevin Steele is going to have a lot of ways to mix and match and do some different things and they're going to be going against some real dudes Malik Neighbors was right there knocking on the door for us as the number one receiver returning in the SEC. Uh, Kyron Lacey is a literal alien receiving the football. Uh, Brian Thomas, 6'4", 200. Chris Hilton has already had success in an LSU uniform. That matchup is going to be massive. And I think one other reason that that matchup is going to be massive is for my number one matchup as far as position groups are concerned inside the SEC going into 2023. 
It's almost as fun to watch as it is to wear Blue Delta jeans. Go to BlueDeltaJeans.com. Check them out. Premium denim that is custom fit to you. We talked about it on Father's Day. If you missed it, that's fine. Go pick up a gift card. Give it to your loved ones. Check them out for yourself. It is the most comfortable pair of jeans I've ever worn. I have multiple pairs. Nick and the guys will take great care of you. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Go check out a pair for yourself. Okay, number one. This one's pretty easy, except it's a little extensive and I kind of cheated. Alabama LSU, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Bryant Daney Stadium, November the 4th, week 10. Both teams off before this game. The line of scrimmage. Just that. The line of scrimmage in this game. Both sides of the ball. I think you know how I feel about the Alabama offensive line. Tyler Booker, War Daddy. Seth McLaughlin has played center. Darren Dalcourt played center. Probably going to go at guard. A lot of brain power on that Bama offensive line. And here's one thing that's interesting about that. Mason Smith, Makai Wingo inside for LSU. Those two guys are not necessarily road graders. Good players, not road graders. Is that advantage Mason Smith if he's down inside? J.C. Latham out on the edge. I think by this time in the season, Caden Proctor has probably locked down one of the tackle spots. Which one of those guys has to deal with Harold Perkins off the edge? Because I don't want that matchup. That is a nightmare waiting to happen. And then on the flip side of that, okay, Jaheim Otis, best interior D lineman we had. Him and, him and Mason Smith, we went back and forth. Mason just hadn't played as much football. Tim Smith coming along. Jamil Burroughs coming along. Okay, I want to see. If that's the case, going up against Will Campbell, who was great at tackle last year, Emory Jones, great at tackle last year, Garrett Dellinger, Charles Turner, Marlon Martinez, whoever it is at center, Miles Frazier, the FIU transfer, who I think comes on this year. We were excited about him last year. That is going to be all-out war, literal bloodbath in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I cannot wait to watch the line of scrimmage in that football game. And hey, it's been that way for a while. I get it. I understand it. But I just think you've got some legitimate early draft picks. I think you've got some legitimate war daddies when both teams have the football on offense, on defense, that are going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. We talk about trading some paint. You talk about some big boys trading some sweat. Like belly on belly. Let's sumo wrestle that shit up and let's go. And it is going to be fun to watch. Now, I know you're probably sitting there saying, oh, we had some other ones. Tennessee wide receivers against Bama DBs. Absolutely. Don't have the same guy throwing the football. Offensive line won't be the same. So that's kind of why I didn't throw that one in there. Tennessee wide receivers against Georgia DBs. Based on last year, I don't know how much I'd be looking forward to that one. Uh, the LSU line against the AM D line. That's going to be fun to watch. Last game of the year. So not necessarily going to teach us a lot about what's coming or help us learn about other football teams. So that's why that one didn't make it. Uh, I think the Mizzou line against the LSU defensive line. Will Mizzou be 5-0 and heading into that game? And does that Mizzou offensive line, best tackle in the SEC right this second, according to us last week, have they come around? Are they ready to roll? Are they getting good quarterback play behind that O-line? And they still have Kentucky and Georgia coming up. Some difficult front sevens they're going to have to face off against. Um, I think that's a fun one to watch. You know, week four, Arkansas's offensive line against LSU's defensive line. You know, that Arkansas line with a great quarterback and a different system, a different scheme, what are they going to look like? Could be a lot of fun there as well. So, listen, I, I, there are going to be a ton of position group matchups that are going to be fun to watch. They're going to tell us a lot. We're going to learn a lot. But those are the ones that stuck out most to me that I wanted to share with you. And hopefully, like I did when I was doing some prep for this, get your ass excited for football because, woo, I'm ready. These are going to be a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys sticking with us. Please go follow along on Twitter at Cube Show, Instagram at Cube Show, YouTube at Cube Show 61. We have a very small audience. There's just a couple of you guys that listen. 
it doesn't matter. We're just trying to have fun and deliver football content on Sundays. And I'm very appreciative of you guys being here. We try to get straight to the ball, try to be no nonsense, find fun things to talk about and deliver it each and every Sunday. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.